welcome to the Christian Music Guys podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us on our very first episode. Uh, my name is Jacob Pretty. I've been a longtime fan of Christian music. Uh, just to name a few Christian bands of mine, uh, DC Talk, Sonic Flood, Skillet, uh, to name a few. And uh, just love Christian music, love the message that it uh, gets out to the people. And just so glad to be with you guys today. And I am joined with my two brothers. I'm Jesse, um, also Jesse Pretty. Uh, we are brothers, if that wasn't obvious. And uh, yeah, growing up on Christian music, most of the things I was introduced to were uh, things that Jacob actually would uh, listen, like, because he would be the guy that would go buy all the cassette tapes and buy all the uh, CDs and talk to about. Uh, he was like the walking encyclopedia of Christian music, still is. And so I would listen to pretty much whatever he would listen to. And so I think some of my uh, growing up, some of my biggest, I guess, Christian music memories were bands or groups like, I mean, Carmen was big just because in our house, Carmen was real big. DC Talk, obviously, um, was had a huge impact and grew up listening to bands like that. Um, I, I also... For some reason, when I was um, younger, would I liked a lot of all-girl bands that were Christian music bands. Um, there was one called Sierra from back in the day, and um, for a long time it was them and Rich Mullins uh, were the people that I would say my favorite artists. So yeah, I, th I think I um, listened to pretty much anything Jacob did, and then I think I had a few of my own favorites. Yep, and I am Chris Pretty, the other youngest of the three brother. So I, of course, grew up on Christian music, um, really just influenced by whatever my brothers listened to, um, the many different DC Talk or Carmen concerts that we had in our basement, um, also Jars of Clay and For Him, were some of my uh, favorites back then. Uh, so yeah, that's just a little bit about what I was into then. And there were many times where we would do plays in our basement and we would, <laughs> I know it's funny, <laughs> well, but we would, have church, we would have church events um, at our aunt's house in the country and we would go out in the woods. Oh, and man. I remember our cousin, Jonathan, um, want to get him on here sometime and talk about those times. But I remember getting on, you know, going outside and having a big bonfire and all those church people around us. And we didn't care who was out there, but we would get the red sheets and, um, you know, just different things around the house to try to find as a costume and do like the Carmen, uh, you know, songs champion. and stuff. Yeah, the champion around the yeah, fire yeah. and just different songs like that. And it was so much fun. And, and you were always the and, devil. And I who? Chris? You. You were. Me? Jacob. Jacob. Wow. You were always the devil. You had the Jim Carrey, the mask from yeah, the movie The Mask. I remember you that. Were, oh, you yeah. Wore a, red, a red bathrobe and the mask mask, and you were, the, you were Satan. And I was the angel because I was always given the dorkiest role in all of our plays. <laughs> totally off subject, but didn't we didn't we also use that mask on the horse in our basement oh for yeah, what true. was it? The, what was that movie? The the ah, uh, oh, it was a the little people, and it was like it was a big the Gully not Gulligan's Island. It's a Fern Gully. No, where it's like the small people. Um, what is Earth? that? The borrowers? No, no Fern Gully. I don't know. No. We're getting all these movies shout out. So, no, do y'all not remember that? Hold on, I'm trying to think of the movie. They remade it with Jack Black. Uh, Gulliver's Travels. Travels. Gulliver's Travels. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bro. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, we're excited that you guys have joined us uh, today or this evening, whatever time you may be listening to this podcast. Um, just want you guys to know that. I uh, hope you enjoy yourselves. And subscribe to our podcast, like our podcast, share it on all socials, and um, we are just thrilled to be talking about this. So, on our one of our first episodes, um, 
this week, we're going to be talking about a Christian band that started in the 80s, actually. And um, their band is called New Song. Christopher, and, the, um, the 80s were a decade uh, that were <laughs> phenomenal. I know that you don't have any experience in the 80s since you were born in, the, in 1990, but the 80s were, I mean, it's, it's a golden age, man. Yeah, I'm not, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I guess I, I don't know if I should be sorry that I'm not as old as you all or. Uh, or... Well, as we're doing this podcast, Chris just had his first baby like a week ago. So I say in about six months around, maybe a little after Christmas, we'll be asking him if he still feels a young man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, we'll see. But yeah, 80s Christian music in particular was a lot different. Um, you know, the, 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 the styles, obviously, there wasn't many rap groups, uh, Christian music-wise. There was several rock groups in the 80s. The, the majority of the style of the Christian music was pop. Um, if it changed, I think it changed. Like, if you think about Christian music in the 80s, uh, like, just get 85 to 95, the difference between listening to, like, a Christian music, uh, anything from 85 and just go 10 years and listen to 95, the difference is massive. Big time. Uh, the sound, uh, and, and then, but if you take it, like, you know, 2005 to 2015 there's not that big of a difference i mean there's you know you hear the things but it's not a massive difference yeah yeah, there was a ton of things that happened mid 80s to mid 90s uh where the bands that kind of were in the mid to late 80s there were a ton of changes that took place during that decade well you were getting out of the the gaither vocal band style (laughs) yeah and and actually doing like uh kind of like a rock contemporary style that was not the uh, the most popular um, amongst some of the church folk at, at the time, right? I feel like speaking of speaking of that, Chris, um, you know the '80s brought forward some of the largest uh, Christian music pioneers that are still legends to this day, um, and one of those people is Amy Grant. Uh, you know, she started in the early '80s and was on mainstream radio, and a lot of people, you know, did not like that the fact. She was on mainstream radio and not singing songs all about Jesus, you know, and she was still a Christian, but she was just reaching people that would not normally listen to Christian music. And then, of course, you have Michael W. Smith. He started in the 80s and Stephen Curtis Chapman, um, Carmen, which all these artists will be talking about in the near future. But, you know, those are just the name of a few um, artists. You know, there was another the the 80s. I think the other the best thing about 80s Christian music, since we're just on this 80s kick, is the album covers and the hair and the mullets. Like, you mentioned Michael W. Smith, and I have, like, as you're mentioning these bands, like, I have these, you know, mom having her cassettes or dad having their cassettes, and you, and it's like having the... Because I remember, like, when you got a tape, Chris, back in the day, there were these cassette tapes that's what we would listen to music on. Um, oh, I It's like a little square, Yeah. Uh, but they would always have the booklet with all the lyrics in it. And so that was always something you really wanted to get and open up. And I just have this, these mental pictures of Michael W. Smith mullet, Amy Grant, big Aquanet, poofy hair, uh, and all the just the crazy 80s hairstyles and stuff, too. I will, I will say that's one thing I do miss about buying the actual tape cassette or the cd the, the mullets well no not the well the pictures <laughs> but the the booklets that you would get you know now you just get everything streaming and i mean yeah you could still go try to find the cd which a lot of the places don't even carry cds anymore but that was the coolest thing i remember on fridays because all the christian cds would come out and we'd go to the family christian bookstore and buy the buy the the cassettes or the CDs and, you know, the booklets would be in there. And I remember going sometimes through the booklets, going man. through the booklets. And sometimes us three would fight over, you know, who's going to look at the booklet first. And yeah, I remember, who's I remember gonna go sit on the toilet and read every lyric to every song. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I remember autographing them um, to pretend, you know, I was so-and-so, you know, but. So watch times. out if yeah. you're, if you're trying to buy a, a signed copy from Toby Mac of nineteen ninety eight. It's probably Jacob Pretty's handwriting. <laughs> You're welcome. Jacob, Jacob, no, Jacob used to really pretend like to pretend he was Amy Grant. I think that was 
It's uh, funny though because the it's true though. Like I would judge a lot about a band about the booklet that they had with their stuff. Like I remember, um, like my favorite booklet ever of any band, Christian, non-Christian, of a CD that we got. To my to this day, it's the best booklet ever. Was when uh, DC Talk put out Supernatural. That book that was in that CD, the paper was different. Um, yeah, I the remember pictures. The uh, just the pictures they had, the way it was printed. I mean, it was so well done. Like it, it blew everyone else out of the water. Well, I, I remember that, that was a huge like memory that I have. Distinctly, the paper was not even smooth. It was like rustic filling. Yeah, it was like a, it was like more of like that matte, like almost like a, like a burlap kind of. Wasn't that, wasn't that right when they came out with the, what were the books that they wrote? Jesus Freaks. Jesus Freaks. It, yeah. it, it would have been, yeah, it's probably been around the same time, similar to the time. Yeah. But yeah, like I, it's, it's funny though, because like <clears throat> that is an experience that's gone now. You know, the yeah. whole having that CD booklet. And listening to the album and looking at the lyrics as you uh, listen to the album for the first time. And well, now seeing... you just Google the lyrics. Yeah, but they also, <laughs> I mean, one of the other things I like doing is in those booklets, they would write their thank yous. Hey, I'd like to thank this person and this person yeah. and this person. And that was cool, but now it's gone. Like, I haven't purchased, like, I haven't bought a physical, like, music CD years it's been so long i don't even remember it it has to have been at least eight or nine years like that experience is gone what i do like though about a lot of the bands pretty much every band that i could think of is doing this right now is coming out with vinyls of their albums new and old like um there's several bands that have released their older albums on vinyls and their newest ones you know and so that's something that you could have Get take to a concert, get autographed or whatever. So I think that's pretty cool. What what are vinyls? I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, right, vinyls so... were even before Jacob and my time. Like they oh, yeah. were around sixties and seventies. Because like, oh, like, yeah. when I was born, when Jacob was born, like growing up, like vinyls were things still, but they were on their way out. Cassette tapes Cassettes were, were the, thing. the thing, and then like I think. Probably elementary school. No, that's before my time. <laughs> elementary school was probably like CDs. I know the first CD I ever owned that like that was my CD uh, was Jars of Clay. I got it for Christmas, and that was a big deal. Their yeah. first album, yeah. Jars of Clay. Oh, I remember the first mm-hmm. cassette tape that was actually mine. It was a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> coming out of and the it was, and the, and the <laughs> Yeah, the cassette tape was orange itself. Like that oh, was yeah. that was awesome. That's how you know you had some Nickelodeon produced. Oh yeah. And don't oh, yeah. Don't ask me to sing the songs, but I do remember the songs. I don't know yeah, why. Copyright broke. Yeah, man. <laughs> so we are going to be talking about a little bit about New Song today. Uh, new Song. Uh, of course, is a contemporary Christian band that was founded in 1981, a couple years before I was born. Um, they were actually founded at a church called Morningside Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. Um, to, de- to record, to date, they've had 12 GMA Dove Award nominations, and they had one Grammy Award nomination. Um, the current members are Eddie Carswell, Billy Goodwin, uh, Russ Lee, Mark Clay, and Enrico Tonis. And so... They've had a lot of past um, members in the past. Um, I'm sure you guys remember some of these uh, band members that they've had in the past, but Michael O'Brien uh, was one of the singers of New Song. He was a lead singer. He was a singer in the 90s, and of course, Was, Nate was he Sally. the guy that we met in line? Yeah, Joy Jam. Yeah, like he was buying a hot dog. Yeah, he was buying a hot dog. That's the only reason, I mean, like, not that he's not a great artist, but the only reason I know that dude is because... Yeah, I remember him being a really tall guy with poofy hair. Yeah, and he was buying a hot dog in front of us, and I remember everybody freaking out. That's him. That's him. So they've had they've had several uh, past singers, but what they are really known for besides their songs is they are the the original founders of Winter Jam. And for those that don't know who Winter Jam, what Winter Jam is, it is the largest annual Christian music tour ever in the nation in the world. And it began in 1995, and New Song every year since 1995 has hosted Winter Jam. And so, what Winter Jam is? It's a it's a traveling tour that goes through 60, 70 towns. I mean, it goes through so many cities, and they pack out 30, 40, 50 thousand uh, seat arenas. And they they know 
what Winter Jam is. If you're listening to this podcast, yeah. you know yeah, you what should. Winter Jam is. And if you don't know what Winter Jam is, then turn off the podcast. Repent <laughs> for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Winter Jam, I don't ever remember. I mean, I didn't know it was around that long. Like, I, I didn't know exactly when it was founded or whatever. But it, Winter Jam for me, is, it was the the first time I saw a lot of bands play live was at winter jam. Cause you know, right. you go to winter jam, you see 10 or 15 bands or, you know, maybe that's extreme, maybe 10 bands play. Um, for me, it was like the opportunity to see so many bands play that I've never seen before. And um, yeah, winter jam is awesome. Yeah. They've had every Christian band you could think of has, has been at winter jam. Um, in fact, the guy that will, or are interviewing at the, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of this podcast was t- telling a story um, several years ago, they have the pre-jam party and it's, um, bands that are up and coming. And one of the years they had for King of Country, they were an upcoming pre-jam party. They started before, you know, basically before anybody got in there as the doors were opening and now look at for King of Country, you know, they're selling out huge arenas and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And, um, so. It's the Australian accent. It helps with their. Um, it's the same thing. It's the Hillsong effect, you know. Like, it's it's the accent. I, I thought about doing this podcast with an Australian accent just so we could get more listeners. I'll give you a dollar if we can hear it. <laughs> the Lord reigns. Yeah, the Lord reigns. <laughs> okay, I'm just joking. Maybe fifty cents. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, but the 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 uh, Winter Jam tour. It actually, its first quarter in 2011, it outperformed Bon Jovi, U2, Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, all of their tours. And that's tickets like were crazy. $5. Yeah, that's like crazy <laughs> to think. Yeah, that is that is insane. I mean, like, and what's cool, so my, I have some, like my history, uh, I guess, testimony uh, with, uh, um, winter jam is it's like when i wasn't following the lord and stuff i was a i was still a fan of um skillet like i i was i would listen to skillet not following the lord but really just enjoyed the rock music or whatever and they came out with collide and and uh what was the one after collide uh uh, rebirth or comatose or was it yeah comatose it was comatose yeah Comatose was, you know, they came out with that album and then they were in winter jam and the only and then i heard they were coming in it's probably on MySpace. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Uh, oh, yeah. But I'm pretty sure I heard somewhere, maybe it was MySpace, that they were going to come to Lexington, which is only like 30 minutes from us. And uh, and I took me, it was like me. Didn't you go on that, Chris? Did you go with me and our my friend Double D? Do you remember Do you remember him? Or was it was that not you I, that went with us? I don't know. I, no, I think, we, I think it was me. We drove to Lexington. I don't remember. It was me another guy that I used to uh, party with or play with or, you know, like uh, be friends with or whatever. And we would, uh, neither of us were serving the Lord. I was not even close serving the Lord, but like, you know, I would go and, uh, um, I was getting the God, you know, the gospel presented to me, um, against my will, but it was when, you know, winter jam did that, you know, it was that thing of like, I would have never gone to church. I would have never, uh, gone to a christian concert by any stretch of the imagination but hey skillet was there so i went you know oh yeah and you experienced all the all the fire and <laughs> all yeah, the bro. heat from oh, yeah, all the oh, pyro yeah. so yeah um what another statistic about winter jam as we're talking about it in 2007 um the tour they had stephen curtis chapman jeremy camp hawk nelson sanctus real and then new artist Britt Nico, uh, which now she's pretty well known. And um, so anyway, that tour over the course of all those cities had an attendance of two hundred over a little over two hundred seventy five thousand people. And that year for the Winter Jam tour, thirty seven thousand made decisions for Christ. So obviously these guys from New Song are doing something right. You know, charging only 10, 15 bucks to see 10, 10 or so bands. And um, making it, you know, not just like an hour or two hour event. I mean, when you go to Winter Jam, you're there four, five hours, especially if you're in line to get in. I mean, you're there. All, it's an all day thing. And so, um, you know, new song, there are songs that they're known for. 
obviously. Christmas shoes, which in our interview we talk about Christmas shoes, voted the best, worst, saddest Christmas song ever. Um, I mean, no, Christmas shoes, you know, is is not really the brightest, um, cheerful Christmas song to listen to every year. And then you got Arise My Love, which everybody knows that song. Every, they sing it every year at Winter Jam and, you know, thing, songs like that. And so uh, New Song is still, you know, one of the greatest Christian uh, groups um, to date. They have done a whole lot. Their ministry is, is really powerful. And um, as I look, they have a lot of albums here. Um I looked up. I looked up all the albums online, and it's like twenty albums. So yeah, I mean, nineteen eighty one. I feel like they should have more than that. That's not that impressive, really. Where what have they been doing <laughs> since nineteen eighty one? I feel yeah, like they really. should have at least forty or fifty albums. Yeah, you know? just joking. Yeah. So, uh, funny thing about the Christmas song, I forever ago back. Um, when they, they came to the church we were going to and uh, the church did a, a drawing for to have like one of the kids come up and sing the uh, the part of like the you know at the end of the song where the, the kids the kid sings you know I want to buy you whatever the shoes um, I want I'm her gonna... to look beautiful if mama meets Jesus <laughs> And I... That was yeah. very beautiful. Uh, very, very beautiful, Jacob. Uh, so, so it, New Song has no idea. Like, this was totally the church that did this drawing. And... Oh, without, they, so they just, like, pulled a quick one on them. Yeah, so, like... Well, New Song used to do... As far as what I know, they did... They used to do this to where, like, they would have a kid come up and sing that part at the end. Like it was a thing, but like they weren't in charge of the drawing, whoever they were going to, like the place they were going to was in charge of the drawing. Well, the, the church drew the person and the person was not a kid. He, he was uh, like a teenager <laughs> and like his voice was like in the middle of changing. So he came, he walks up there and you can kind of see like their faces, like they're like, this is not a kid. Like what in the world? But they just went off. They just went with it. Like they were like, you know, what do we do? We're in the middle of a show, like in the middle of this song. And then he grabs the mic. He's like, sir, I want to buy these shoes for my mama. No, did he squeak? <laughs> no, he just, he just sang the whole song in bass. Like, you know, like pentatonics, pre pentatonics. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could we could go on and on about new song, but a few weeks ago, uh, we had the privilege to um, sit down with Russ Lee, um, frontman of New Song, and um, you know, in my opinion, one of the greatest um, voices in Christian music. You know, he's got one of those distinct voices. There's only a few Christian singers, you know, I could count probably on on one hand that have a really distinct voice, and when they sing you know who it is. And so one of them being the guy that Chris was just talking about, the Christmas shoes guy. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, We're not going to give any names. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is our interview with Wesley and um, it was a great time. Um, a lot of good, a lot of good uh, wisdom in this man and hope you guys enjoy the interview. Welcome back to the Christian music guys podcast. And we have in the house today, Russ Lee, front man from New Song. Hey, how are you, buddy? Good, how are you? It's great to have you here. Thank you, sir. And uh, we would just like to uh, go dig right in. You know, we, uh, my brothers and I, we great old fans of New Song. I've listened to you guys for many years. Um, we were talking earlier. It's funny, when we were growing up, we, we used to play Arise My Love. And, you know, when we would do like school camps and church camps and things like that and reenact Arise My Love out in the woods, you know, with fire and you know, with the bonfire or whatever. And, you know, so oh, yeah. many funny memories, a, a lot of good memories of, of you guys and your music. And so it's just an honor to chat with you for a few moments today. Oh, well, thank you, Jacob. You know, um, you, you used to listen to Arise My Love. I, I still sing it. I still <laughs> sing it almost every weekend. 
So no, nobody's heard it more than me, but it's it never gets old. So thank you. I'm honored to be with you. Absolutely. All right. So our, um, the first question that we have for you, um, it's, it's talking about some of the uh, songs you guys sing, and it's uh, one of my favorite songs and would like to know kind of the story behind it, uh, even if there is a story. But my favorite new song uh, song is This One's With Me. Um, it's always been it's always ministered to me and I just I love the song. I love the, the you know, the meaning behind it. And so I just wondered, you know, the story behind that song. Sure. Well, um, many years ago, here's the story behind the song. So many years ago, Jesse Jackson was going overseas as a diplomat and ambassador for the United States uh, to some countries. He was being sent out and he called E.V. Hill, Dr. E.V. Hill, the great African-American preacher. And he asked Dr. Hill if he would accompany him as kind of his advisor and his spiritual covering. And so E.V. Hill was honored. He went with Jesse Jackson and he said they were going to, they had showed up in this country that they were visiting and they were going to a state's dinner that night. And Jesse Jackson was kind of the guest of, of honor, if you will. And they walked uh, in the into the building and they were going into the room where the dinner was being held. And Jesse Jackson, everyone was greeting him and, you know, saying hello. And everyone knew who Jesse was, but they didn't know who Evie Hill was. And so the, the security officers stopped Evie Hill at the door and Jesse was greeting people and walking. And he walked about 10 feet forward before he realized that Evie Hill was not standing there with him. And so he turned around and said, and said, Evie, come on. And Evie said, well, I can't. These, these gentlemen won't let me. They've stopped me. They don't know who I am. And he said, and he looked at this, he walked back to the security officers and said, you can let him in. It's okay. Uh, he's with me. This one's with me. And so when we heard that story, we thought, you know, that's really our story with Christ. If we stand before God and he doesn't say those words, heaven's not going to be our home. There, there'll be no heaven for us, you know, unless we know Christ. And so we kind of took that story and we gospelized it and evangelized it. And it became the song, This One's With Me, you know, because it's a story of someone standing before God on that fateful day and not having a chance of getting into heaven. And then Jesus literally becoming his covering and his hope, you know, and being his doorway into heaven. So that's really the story behind the song. Wow, that's beautiful. That is, that is awesome. Um, that's good stuff. So my brother, Jesse, he cannot be here with us today. Um, he has a, another job, another commitment that he is at currently. But he wanted to know the story behind uh, his favorite new song, song, which is Can't Keep a Good Man Down. Oh, well, see, that's a that's a good story. So we I was getting ready to actually transition out of New Song for a little while. As you know, I was with New Song for about five years plus, And then I went off with Capitol Records and did some solo work and, and with another record label and missions work and was on staff at a church. I, I went home and raised my kids, basically. And um, I was getting ready to transition out of New Song. And we decided to, Eddie Carswell, Leonard Alstrom, and myself decided to go off to a cabin and spend a few days and just write songs, you know, just see what we could do. And and uh, so we went off and we wrote songs. And I think we wrote what became, by the grace of God, three or four number one songs during that writing session. One was the song that was a big hit for me as a solo artist called I Smile. The other one was Jesus to the World, uh, which was about a great mentor and friend of ours named Bob Briner, who was a Christian who influenced everyone. And then um, Can't Keep a Good Man Down was another song out of that weekend that, uh, that you know, has lived on. But, but we just, you know, we, we had, we were, we had kind of written down that saying, you know, you can't keep a good man down. That was kind of a familiar saying. And we thought, wow, what if we made this about the resurrection and about, you know, the devil trying his best to keep Jesus in the grave? And, uh, you know, people not understanding who Jesus was, but then after the resurrection, they knew he was the resurrection and the life, just like he had told, uh, you know, um, his followers before. So that kind of became the story behind Can't Keep a Good Man Down. And and uh, 
we we kind of had we we said you know the with that title can't keep a good man down it kind of needs to have like a southern rock sort of vibe to it and so that's that's kind of how we came up with that and the nanas at the beginning were something that we added in the studio when we were recording the song you know a couple months later uh, we were recording the song and i was there for the recordings um with uh, with a producer named brian tankersley who was fantastic and brian said you know it'd be cool to have some kind of little hook that goes along with this song and so we started the song with the na 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 and uh and then we stacked harmonies on it and that kind of became the signature for the song and we would we would uh show up to do a concert and and inadvertently some little kid would come up to us and go, are you going to play the Na Na song? Can you do the Na Na song? <laughs> so it became known as the Na Na song. But you and I call it Can't Keep a Good Man Down. Yeah. I will say the, um, I guess the reimagining, you would call it, version that you guys put out a few years ago with the, the Greatest Hits CD. Uh, I really enjoyed that version of that song. Well, thank you very much. Well, and you know, and I recorded uh, on my own, my own version of it, but I kind of... Uh, I kind of turned it into a little bit of like uh, Southern rock, Keith uh, Keith Urban meets Jesus, uh, soulful. <laughs> I'm gonna put and put some Memphis on it. So, so I kind of re-recorded it. And and to be honest, I left the Nanas out because they had become so prominent with the new song version. I was like, you know, I'm gonna record a different version because you know I um. Of, that was one of the songs that I started. So when you come into a songwriting situation with other songwriters, you know, different guys bring different ideas. And I Smile and um, Can't Keep a Good Man Down were a couple of ideas that I had, but they were just ideas. And so you get with these other guys in the song form. So it's so you don't really own the song because you all wrote it together. But I kind of owned the idea until we wrote the song. So when I, when I re-recorded it, I wanted to reimagine it a yeah. little bit so that's kind of what what we did i got with uh with a, a southern gospel um uh actual actually he was a southern gospel artist and and producer but he was he's a phenomenal musician and he's and he it, personally he's very soulful like he just has kind of made his niche over there with the martins and the isaacs and a lot of different groups in the southern gospel side but he kind of wanted an opportunity to stretch too. And so I asked him, I was like, Hey, let's help me re reimagine this song together. We were friends. And so his name was Zane King. So we, we reimagined the song and kind of changed it a little bit, but it's, but I could not overcome the Na Na song. Uh, <laughs> still what, you know, kids that are now older, that's what they call it. Still the Na Na song. They, no. They'll come up after a concert and go, you know, we used to call can't keep a good man down and I can finish their sentence. The Na Na song. <laughs> Yeah, the Nana song. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite new song song to perform to sing? I don't know. You know, it's kind of hard to say because it changes from time to time. You know, um, you never get tired of singing "Arise, My Love" because that sure. song never grows old. Um, uh, I think uh, you know this one's with me. Uh, it's such a strong gospel statement. I really, I really love that song. Mm -hmm. But a few years ago, I recorded a song with a new song. Um, uh, the great producer Charlie Peacock did a record for New Song, and it was called "Give Yourself Away." And um, the song "Give Yourself Away" on that record, as well as a song called "Too Wonderful," um, those are kind of two of my standout favorites that I love to go back and sing. I don't get to sing them as much, but you know, the, you, I know you heard other songwriters say this, probably other artists, but all those songs are kind of like your babies. And so they're kind of the message that you're preaching. They're like three and a half minute sermons that you're preaching at that time in your ministry. So it's hard to say one's a favorite or one is, you know, sure. uh, you know, you can't tell your kids, hey, you're, you're a good kid. I love you, but I love your brother more than I love you. You, know, <laughs> you can't tell your kids that. Right. Because uh, uh, you even love the bad ones, you know. Uh, right. So, uh, so it, it's hard to say, but as far as just singing it and people being blessed by it and people responding, uh, I Smile was a big song for me as a solo artist that mm -hmm. was one of the top 50 songs of the decade when it was released. And, and the reason it was is because it was a positive song that was full of joy on Christian radio. It wasn't just about 
overcoming. It was about being happy and having the joy of the Lord. So a lot of people resonated with that song. So I, I, I love singing that song as well. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love um, I Smile Myself. Um, hopefully you will be coming out with some new solo stuff soon, which is, uh, you know, always a good thing. Oh yeah, well I'm working on it. I'm I've been writing some with uh, some buddies of mine um, in in Louisville and um, some of the guys from Iron Bell Music up here. And then uh, I've been also spending a lot of time with um, Jason Roy from Building Four Twenty Nine. We've been working on some stuff, so we'll see. Awesome. Well, what about the worst new song song? Maybe Christmas. Well, shoes? I think that <laughs> I think you have to know it's the Christmas shoes. We have to know that. That is the worst, best song of all time. Matter of fact, USA Today voted the Christmas Shoes the saddest Christmas song of all time. Like, it beat out Elvis Presley's Blue Christmas, for heaven's sake. <laughs> so, you know, how do you do that? How do you even, how do you beat out Elvis singing Blue Christmas? And so I asked Eddie Carswell, who wrote the song, I said, actually, Eddie Carswell and Leonard Alstrom, uh, my one of our writing buddies, wrote that song a few years ago. And I asked Eddie, I said, how does it feel to know that of all of the sad Christmas songs, you've written the saddest song. I said, no, wait, you're in the ministry. You're supposed to encourage people. But you've somehow written the most tearful song of the holiday season. And right. he, without hesitation, said, well, my mama always told me, Eddie boy, if you're going to do something, do it right. <laughs> so you know, he's like, I think, I don't know. I feel like I hit a home run. But we, It's funny because that, that little song just kind of found its way into people's hearts. And, you know, it wasn't originally a number one song in Christian music. It was actually number one in the world on the secular music charts because people just wanted to be sad at Christmas, I guess. It <laughs> became the fastest It became the fastest climb to number one in the history of Billboard at the time because uh, you know, it was a holiday song. But now, as you know, Jacob, people, radio stations will have contests and the contest will be should we play Christmas shoes this Christmas? Yes or no? Should we play it this Christmas? So they literally have contests. And uh, a, a British music magazine actually a few years ago voted the Christmas shoes the saddest song of all time. Wow. So it beat out Bridge Over Troubled Water, um, uh, 17. Uh, you know, think of the saddest songs you know. You know. Right. And somehow Christmas shoes beat them out so there we go praise the lord i'm glad we can encourage people and i'm glad that i'm glad that yeah i'm glad some guy gave the kid the money so that he could get the shoes I thank you thank you rob Lowe, for that yeah that's true you thank you rob I'm, you know. my uh my 10 year old boy the first time he heard that song we, we had it on um in louisville there's a station that plays christmas music 24 hours a day like starting the day after halloween it's insane and right. they play it for all the way up till like New Year's. Well, Christmas Shoes came on and he, he heard it and he asked me who it was. I said, it's a new song. And he said, Daddy, that is the most depressing song. I said, wow, buddy. He goes, his mama died on Christmas Eve. How is that a good Christmas song? <laughs> well, I don't understand it, but there it is. Well, we were, we were actually doing a radio interview in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we were doing a morning show for a big secular radio station we were friends with the djs and they were like you know it was several years ago it was guys like rick and bubba you know that are all over the country mm -hmm. and and um we were doing their radio show and as we were leaving one of the djs said hey someone you guys should write a song about this he said some anonymous person sent this this email's floating around and it's an anonymous story and Somebody should write a song about it. And it was literally the story of the Christmas shoes. It was like a, you know, it was two pages long. It wasn't big. Yeah. But it was like the, it was like the premise for the Christmas shoes. And so we carried it around for a couple of years. You know, it just kind of was a folded piece of paper in somebody's Bible for a couple of years. And then, you know, one day Eddie Carswell starts looking at it. And he, that's the guy that wrote, you know, Light Your World and Arise, My Love. So Eddie Carswell starts looking at it, and he's like, you know, this could be a good or bad Christmas song. It could be a Christmas song. We, we should try to write it. And so that's kind of where the song came from. And, and once they wrote the song and realized that it was going to be something, they traced the lady down who had sent in the email, mm -hmm. and she didn't want any part of it. 
she was like, no, no, someone told me this story. Uh, and I, and I just kind of cleaned it up and, 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 you know, I, I want to remain anonymous. I don't want to be any part of it. Mm-hmm. So, so she didn't want any credit. She just wanted to get the story out there. So that song has now become five or six movies and five or six books and, you know, the follow-up stories of all of them. So we, we wrote the song and then took the story to a friend of ours who's a writer named Donna Van Leer. And she wrote the book to go along with the song, which immediately became the movie that, that everyone saw with Rob Lowe and Kimberly Williams. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there you go. That's the story. Wow. We call it the little song that could. Because <laughs> it, it just won't go away. It just won't quit. It's There's no quit in the Christmas shoes. <laughs> wow. So my brother and I were talking the other night, and he was telling me a story. <clears throat> Back in 2008, um, at the time he wasn't serving the Lord, and he loved Skillet. And so he heard that they were going to be at this festival called Winter Jam. And he said, well... I'll go, but I don't really want to hear these other Christian bands. And then he heard that new song where the host, and then he really didn't want to hear you guys at the time because he wasn't serving the Lord. And he says, they better not sing a rock. Yeah. Love. So he goes and everything and him and his buddy they're They both went and heard skillet. And, um, afterwards, you know, he, he got to thinking, he says, Christians are so comfortable about talking about the gospel with saved people, but not with the unsaved. And at the time, he, he, so he's wanting me to ask you, how do you approach sharing with the unsaved and what advice would you give? And what I was telling him, I said, well, if you think about it, all different kinds of people come to Winter Jam to hear Skillet or Red or, you know, Lecrae or, you know, any artist. And there's probably right. a good handful of people that are not saved. And so he was just wanting to, you know, well, well, yeah. Well, you know, like with Skillet, that's a great example because because Skillet, um, they they don't just play Christian events, even though John Cooper is one of the most solid right. Christian leaders I know. And I mean, that guy's spiritually he's deep, he's deep water. But but he also he knows that God has called them and the red guys, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys know that part of their calling is to be a witness and influence in secular circles, you know. Uh, I mean, the, the, the skillet and the red guys knew Brian Welch before he got saved. And so they were an influence on him, you know, and are to this day. So, you know, my, my point being Brian Welch from the group corn, by the way, in case your listeners, you know, don't know who I'm talking about. He's become a a great outspoken follower of Christ, but uh, all that to say, those guys realize that part of their ministry in playing rock and roll festivals is to be light in a dark place, you know? And so they feel like, a, you know, they feel like, you know, we when we go play these festivals, we're like a city that's set on a hill. Well, you're right. And they gain this huge following of people that love their music and love the hope that's in their music, but they don't necessarily know completely what skill it's about. I mean, they don't know if these guys are just singing these songs about hope or if they really believe it. But then they come to Winter Jam, and as you know, right in the middle of Winter Jam, we stop all the music and shut down the merchandise area. And we have someone stand up flat-footed, unapologetically, powerfully with anointing, share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and give people the opportunity to come to know Christ. The year before COVID, uh, we had a great evangelist team, uh, Greg Steer uh, with Dare to Share Ministries and Zane Black with Dare to Share Ministries. Those guys teach teenagers and adults how to share the gospel wherever they go. And they shared the gospel on Winter Jam. And we had people text in if they prayed a salvation prayer so that we could give them follow-up materials. And that year, over 38,000 people that we know about that had phone service and phone battery left, those are the people that texted in and said, hey, I want to know more about following Christ. I prayed that prayer with you guys tonight. 38,000 people. That's more people than lived in my hometown. You know, so... And that's just one, well, that's just one event. You know, those are people that we know about. And now, you know, by the grace of God, we've, we've seen God do that year after year, which is amazing that we even get to be a part of that. But, uh, you know, the Bible says, to, to answer your question, the Bible says, you know, someone asked Jesus, what, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, the greatest commandments are these, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said this, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so if we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then loving our neighbor is is the natural you know, outcrop. It's the natural result of us loving God with our whole heart. Well, if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves and we care about their, their, their good, mm-hmm. then we have to care about their eternity. And, but that can't, you know, so many people share the gospel out of obligation and good things happen sometimes when you do that. But if you share the gospel out of an urgent sense of concern for someone then the vehicle of the gospel is so much different than um, if you're just, you know, well, the Bible says I have to share the gospel, so I'm just going to go do it. You know, I I pass out tracts because I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to. Well, you know, um, first off, we should pray and say, Lord, help me to see the lost that are around me the way that you see them. Let me have the same heart for them that you do. And then it's easy for us. And then we just love the Lord and press into him. And then we live life with them and in front of them. That's the other thing. We live in such a segregated, separated, isolated, virtual culture today that we never make contact with our neighbors. You can live on the same street with people for 20 years and not know anything about them. Well, we have to change that. I had a friend who really had a conviction that he needed to share the gospel. He was on staff at a church, and he's like, I've been living in the same house for two years, and my neighbors, they don't really know me, and I don't really know them because we're all so busy. So one Saturday, he took his grill from behind his house and off of his patio, and he rolled it around to his driveway on his cul-de-sac, and he started grilling food and and put signs down on the edge of his road and said, uh, neighborhood barbecue, everyone welcome, free hot dogs and hamburgers, bring your lawn chair. And he started playing loud music. Well, he ended up with like 20 people in his front yard. Wow. And he realized that everybody in his neighborhood has that same need for fellowship and community. And, you know, they all wanted the same thing, but nobody would instigate it. And he said, I went from grilling in my backyard for my family quietly uh, to actually just using that as a vehicle uh, to reach my my neighbors. My, I got a good friend who's a preacher and a, and a comedian. His name's Tim Detellis. He's awesome. He's a missionary as well to Haiti. But Tim told me one time, he said, you know, God is teaching me to that ministry happens in proximity. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, with COVID, we couldn't go do anything. So I'm I'm saying, Lord, what can I do to serve you? Because of COVID. And he said, God really showed me ministry happens in proximity. That means whoever's around you, begin to pray for them and begin to ask God for doors of opportunity, just to love on them in the power of Jesus. Because people that, you know, to people who are lost, who, who see unselfish love and kindness and grace and mercy in the world we live in, they're drawn to it. It's a fragrance to them because it's so you know, people may think you're weird at first uh, because you're so nice. But when you're consistently that way by the power of, of of the Holy Spirit, people notice the difference and they begin to see that something's different about you and you have something that they don't have. You know, whether you're it's in your neighborhood or at work, because there's a lot of stress at work. You know, if you work on the phone or around other people or you're part of a team somewhere or you're just co-workers in an environment that moves fast and is high stress. When people see you keeping your cool and keeping your head about you and being kind and having the joy of the Lord in a situation where none of them do, they notice. People notice that. We don't have to go you know, build a tower and hang a big old flag and say, if you want more information about Jesus, come here. I mean, that's kind of what church has become. Yeah. We've become ingrown and we need to hold hands, but we need to, instead of standing in a circle, looking at each other, we need to take that circle and turn everybody around and get them to look at their world and join hands and hearts and pray for one another. And then take a step of faith out toward the world around us and see what God will do. Um, sorry. I know I sound a little preachy, oh, that's but, so uh, but the reality is, well, the reality is I've learned that ministry happens as you go. It can happen at the airport or at Walgreens or at Walmart over on aisle six. If God needs somebody and you're available, he'll let you know that if you're listening. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Exactly. Um, that's that's good stuff. That's good stuff. 
Russ, over the years, I mean, you've, you've been in ministry, you've performed in front of thousands of people, have seen a lot of things, uh, back to your days of truth in the Christian band, the truth, um, you know, to the days of new song. What I'm sure that you have seen something that you were just really touched by, that God really used you in the moment and then you saw the fruits of it. So my question is, what what has been a time in your ministry that was probably one of the most memorable moments? Well, you know, that's that's hard to say because God has been so good to us and let us do so many amazing things. But a couple of things come to mind. One is when I was in the group Truth, three months after Ceausescu's government fell in Romania and West and Eastern Europe began to open up to the West, uh, we learned a couple of songs in Russian and Romanian and we loaded up on a plane and we went to those places with uh, an evangelist named Jay Strack and we sang and we also went and did church ministry. Sometimes Jay spoke and sometimes we did and we sang at uh, you know, we sang at universities and we sang at, at churches and we sang at soccer stadiums and we went and spent a couple of weeks in Eastern Europe doing ministry. And I'll never forget the sight of handing out Bibles to people who were in their 70s and 80s who had never been allowed to own a Bible or who remembered owning a Bible years before when they were young, but they hadn't been allowed to own one since. And watching those people weep as we handed them inexpensive Bibles and then hold those Bibles to their chest and then smile at us and kiss those Bibles um, was very sobering. I mean, you know, we take it for granted. I've probably got 30 Bibles at my house because I'm addicted to Bibles. Uh, and if I see a new study Bible or something that I'm like, ooh, I don't have that. And I thought, you know, I may thumb through those Bibles three or four times a year looking for something. But here are people who haven't been allowed to have Bibles. And, and I had the same feeling. I was in uh, Africa with my family doing ministry with the Samburu people outside of Nairobi, Kenya in a little area called Maralal. And uh, the event, the uh, missionary there said, hey, we want you to come and sing and speak at church on Sunday for the bush people. And I said, that sounds fantastic, you know. Yeah. So I thought we were driving to a church building somewhere, you know, at least like a like a pavilion or something. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I we pulled out in the middle of this big African field, and way off in the distance, I see this acacia tree that's big. And he said, you see that tree? And I said, yes. And he said, that's the church. He said, that's where the church meets, under that tree. And so we drove over there. And there was a young guy, probably 28, who was going to seminary online in Kenya. But he was an African. And uh, he was the pastor. He had just started pastoring this group of probably 200 people that were gathering under this tree. And when I met him, I realized that he had a piece of a Bible, but he didn't have a whole Bible. And I said to him, I said, where's the rest of your Bible? And he said, oh, I have the, he said, I have the Gospels right now. And another pastor for another group, he has the, the Pauline epistles. And another pastor has the Old Testament. Um, he said, we swap them out because we only have one copy of the Bible. Well, of course, my thought was we, we need to get all three of these guys a Bible so that they can, you know, but, but his joy and excitement of, of, about knowing the Lord and about serving the Lord and serving those people. And honestly, his ability to preach out of a piece of the Bible um, really blew me away. And, and, you know, we did get them all Bibles, by the way, mm. we got them all brand new, nice uh, Bibles, but, but, um, uh, their commitment and the commitment of those people uh, to follow the Lord and to know him and to learn about him. And it was amazing because I, there were 200 people, some little kids, they were all sitting quietly on the ground under this tree, listening to the teaching from the word of God, uh, like they were dying of thirst and someone was pouring water on them. Wow. So, you know, th those are, those are tremendous, tremendous memories. And I have so many more, you know, um, um, because if you get out and do ministry and you expect God to show up, he will. And when God shows up, supernatural things happen. And those are hard to miss. Yeah. Russ, this uh, next segment of our podcast um, is called The Moment. 
And what that means is simply just the moment where you realized that what you were doing, um, what, what you were going through, you know, that, that wasn't the way. And, you know, you realized that Jesus is all you need. And the moment basically of when, you know, you turned your life to Christ and what was that moment for you? Well, I was a 17 year old kid. I had grown up uh, with a father who was a, a, an alcoholic and a mother who struggled with mental illness her whole life. And I was the oldest of four. And sometimes in my family, it was great. We didn't have anything, but we didn't know it because sometimes it was fantastic. But other times it was terrible. And I was the oldest of the four kids. And I remember thinking to myself, is this what life is going to be like? Is this what the rest of my life is supposed to be like? Because it was very, you know, I didn't know about dysfunction at the time because we didn't have all the psychology that we have nowadays. But I did know that something wasn't right. And, you know, and I knew that my grandparents felt sorry for us kids, but I didn't know, actually know why they felt sorry for us as much. I just thought that, you know, it was just my lot in life sometimes not to have electricity or sometimes not to have food in our house or, some, you know, to have to move or, you know, it was just a difficult thing growing up. And I remember uh, one night when I was 17 years old, I was a drug dealer. I wasn't a drug addict, but I had started selling drugs to make money because I got tired of my parents not having any money. So and I was, you know, I was a lost kid. I was involved in that culture. But I was a firstborn, and so I was cautious, and I thought, you know, I don't want to be a drug addict, but I could certainly sell drugs if I keep my head about me and make some money. Uh, and I didn't feel any responsibility for other people's bad decisions, so I just thought, you know, I'm going to do this, and I did, and it was terrible. But I realized, you know, three months into it, that's not, I don't want to live the rest of my life this way. I was running from the law. I was, you know, being dishonest. I was, you know, lying and you know, it was just a terrible situation. Even if you're yeah. not a Christian, you realize this is not how you want to spend the rest of your life. And I was riding home one night from a bar and I was listening to Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones saying, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, that's really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for satisfaction, you know, and, I, and, and looking back on it, I think, you know, that was God really reaching out to me. Uh, stirring me and giving me an, an uh, you know, a holy uh, uneasiness and discontent uh, about my life because I had really just been moving so fast I hadn't been thinking about it. But that night in particular, I was really brokenhearted about my own decisions and my choices. And I knew I was like, God, I, I and I prayed that night for the first time. I turned the, the stereo off and I was sitting there in the quiet in my car and I was driving home and I said, God, I don't know who you are and I don't know how to find you, but you have to be there. And there has to be more than this. And God, if you're God, you can find me. So, God, if you show me who you are and what to do, I'll do it. And that was a Thursday night. Two days later, a kid that I'd grown up with whose family seemed to be perfect and who didn't seem to need anything. Mm -hmm shows up uninvited at my house. And when you live in a small community and your parents are dysfunctional, people don't come over to your house, you know. Yeah. And so this guy shows up at my house on a Saturday, late Saturday morning, about noon, right around lunchtime. He shows up at my house and he stands on my steps and basically tells me how he felt almost the same way I did. And he tells me how he had given his life to Christ. And he tells me that I'm partially responsible because when I was a little kid, my mother would ship me off to vacation Bible school to get me out of her hair and out of the house when I was little. And I would hear Bible verses, but I didn't get it. And I would go back to school and he would tell me about six flags over everywhere. And I would tell him about baseball and vacation Bible school because that's what I did all summer. Yeah. And I quoted Bible, Bible verses to him because they gave you prizes at vacation Bible school for quoting Bible verses. And I loved prizes. So. I would go through the motions, but I lived, you know, 10 years of my life, you know, uh, 16 inches away from freedom. I had it in my head, but not in my heart. Right. And so my buddy stood on the steps and said, hey, you're really the first person that ever told me anything about Jesus. And I've given my life to him. And it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm going to be baptized tomorrow at church. And it would mean the world to me if you would go with me to church and watch me get baptized. And when he said all that to me, I had my aha moment. I realized that there was a God in heaven who saw what I was doing, who heard my prayers, 
who could have destroyed me but sent somebody to throw me a lifeline. And so I knew I had to go to church, and I went to church, and I don't remember a lot about it except he got baptized and we all clapped. But then the preacher preached, and he shared the gospel, and I just went forward before he finished the sermon. I just walked down front, and it mm. kind of freaked everybody out at the Baptist church. But <laughs> the pastor just stopped preaching and said, what are you doing down here, boy? And I said, well, you said a minute ago, if you want to get saved, you should come up front, and it's been a minute. So I came up front, <laughs> and he started laughing, and then he stopped the, stopped the service, and he walked down front, and he grabbed me by the arms, and I realized he was crying, and he hugged me. And he said, do you realize you're a sinner? And I said, yes, sir, I do. And I and I wanted to say, and some of these people here know I'm a sinner too because I've sinned with some of them. <laughs> but I didn't say that. I was too terrified. But he said, do you realize you're a sinner? And I said, yes, sir, I, I do realize that. And he said, do you realize that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and he wants to save you? And I said, yes, sir, I do realize that. He said, if you confess your sin to him and you confess him as Lord and Savior, he'll save you. Do you want to do that today? And I said, absolutely. And that was October of 1980. And my life changed that day. It changed completely. And I, you know, my family didn't change. Uh, I still had drugs in my car in the church parking lot, but I dumped all those in the Hiawassee River, uh, gave all my drug money in the offering for missions because I thought it had been in circulation on the dark side long enough. So I gave it, gave all my drug money away. And I went and told my friends I was partying with that I'd gotten saved and they needed to get saved. And I knew God had changed my life. Now, looking back, what kind of crazy person goes off to a, to his drug supplier and says, I dumped all your drugs in the river and you need to get <laughs> saved. So I knew it was something was happening, you know. Right. But you know what? God saved me. And three months later, I, I just started. I jumped into church and discipleship and took my brothers and sister and they got saved. And my mother was in and out of it, but she was glad we were going to church because she was worried about me. Uh, you know, and, and, and God just did a radical work in my life. And it all started that Thursday night when it just dawned on me, like someone had opened a curtain in the dark room and the light had shown in, man, something's wrong with your life and you need help. And the night I prayed that prayer to the unknown God, who was the saving Lord Jesus Christ was the night that the, my aha moment, that was my awakening. Wow. And God is so good. He's, he's, you know, he's, He's, he's always there, you know, so many people that are, you know, were in your situation, Russ, and, you know, they need that moment. And, and all it takes is just for one person to say something to them, like you said earlier in the grocery store or, um, you know, at their job or whatever, and they can have that moment uh, just like you did. And I just, God is so good to us and he's, he's amazing, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, and you know. You know, it, it it's not necessarily walking up to someone and pinning them to the, you know, pinning them, pinning their ears back and sharing the four spiritual laws. I mean, right. I'm sure there are times when that's appropriate, but sometimes when somebody is struggling or they're grouchy behind you in line or, you know, they seem to be upset and, and it's as simple as saying, hey, you seem like you're having a hard day. I just wanted you to know that this day will pass and I'm going to be praying for you. I mean, that's not, you know, to someone that may sound weird, but that's refreshing to people to know that someone cares about them because we all feel invisible at times in this world and that no one cares. And sometimes God cares about people through us. So we just need to pray as we go and say, Lord, help me to be aware of what you're doing around me. And Lord, let me be a part of it. If you have to pick somebody to be a part of it, don't pick somebody else. Pick me and let me be a part of it because there's nothing like um, investing in someone spiritually. There's nothing like that. Amen. Well, Russ, before we wrap up today, uh, I want to do a thing called second, 60 second questions and we'll just give your best answer best you can in 60 seconds. All right. All right. I'm ready. All right. First question, favorite food. Um, definitely fried chicken. Okay. Favorite drink. Uh, don't laugh at me. My favorite drink is um, Grapeco soda. Okay. Favorite movie? Tombstone. Favorite car? Um, my favorite car is a 1968 Camaro Supersport. All right. Favorite song? My favorite song is Happy Birthday to You. I mean, how could that not be your favorite song? Because you're going to get presents. If somebody starts singing that song to you, you're getting presents. <laughs> Favorite uh, musician? 
Favorite musician? Ooh, that's hard to say. Probably Stevie Ray Vaughan. Favorite town to perform at? Um, the next one. <laughs> Favorite sports team? Atlanta Braves. All right. And here is the last question. Is it a sloppy wet kiss or unforeseen kiss? Uh, well, it's supposed to be a sloppy wet kiss, but that makes us all feel so awkward, that uh, unforeseen kiss. But here, fun fact for you. Every time David Crowder sings that song live, he just doesn't sing that line. He lets the audience sing whatever <laughs> they want to Watch it. Watch it on video. He's, he just steps away from the microphone and lets it fly. He just lets it go on by. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, Russ, thank you for your time. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Some good some good meat uh, to this conversation. All right, well, Russ Lee, thank you so much. And uh, get on all socials. He's on all socials at uh, Russ Lee. Uh, follow New Song for all their events. Be watching for Winter Jam. It's coming back. We're working on it. We're nice. working on it now. So be watching for our Fall Greatest Hits Tour, our um, Christmas Tour. Uh, that's coming up. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to be doing Christmas with Big Daddy Weave, but I'm not allowed to tell you that, so don't repeat that <laughs> to anyone. Uh, but also, um, you know, Extreme, our big youth conferences in Gatlinburg and out in Branson, Missouri. And then um, uh, right after that, Winter Jam begins. So Lord willing, Lord willing, uh, we'll be out there again in January uh, in a town near you. So come see us. Awesome. I heard DC Talk's going to be at Winter Jam, right? Who's that now? DC Talk. Uh, I don't know. Are they going to be somewhere? I don't know if they're going to be there or not. I have no idea. Maybe, hey, we we uh, if we could get DC Talk, and if they, for some, if by some miracle we could get Carmen to do one more concert, it would be a good day. Yeah, yeah. I miss that guy. One of my first tours as a solo artist was on tour with Carmen, and uh, and he he laid some wisdom on me. He helped me on that tour, so I miss him. He was awesome. All yes, right, sir. brother. Thank you again, and we will talk to you later. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, you too, Jacob. Yeah, that was that was really good. I uh, I didn't know a lot of the things that that he was talking about. Um, Very insightful. Yeah, it was a, it was a great interview, and you know, like I said, he was a genuine, down to earth person, and uh, really enjoyed. Um, him pouring into uh well myself and uh just our listeners and so yeah uh thanks again russ guys you don't want to miss it uh we have a lot of exciting things coming up a lot of good interviews coming up we have scheduled that we cannot um tell you guys yet um but i promise there's gonna be some good episodes we got the fall coming up we got some fall special fall edition episodes and of course our favorite month as a pretty family is December. We love Christmas. And so we're going to be talking about all things Christmas music coming up very, very soon. And so hope you guys. Christmas for us. Like we go to Walmart just to look for eggnog in September. Yeah. I was going to say Christmas for us really starts in October, September. I mean, when Chris and I were, when we, yeah, when we put our Christmas tree up in before, before, yeah, before Halloween. Yeah, man. Yeah, and so school's already started. I'm already kind of like ready for that to happen Christmas. Oh, yeah, go to Hobby Lobby. You can already get your oh, yeah. Christmas stuff. So we'll see you guys next time on the Christian Music Guys podcast.